Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Season 5, Episode 1, which makes it Episode number 75 overall of Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and joining us now, the man whose only goal is to reach the Western Shore, Bobby Blaze. Hush! 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 I'm going to get there, baby. Hey, Jeremy, good to be back, man. Number 75, episode 75, man. It just seems like 74 fucking episodes ago. You know what I'm saying? It, it wow. does feel that Remember way. We 20, 25. I remember hitting 20, 25. I remember hitting 50, man. Now here we are, episode 75. Congratulations to you and to me. It's nice to, to be hitting these milestones. I remember about episode number 52, someone started referring to us as experts. We had over 50 uh, different podcasts out there, and people were calling, referring to the professor and myself as experts on uh, these podcasts, especially in our top tens, which we're going to be doing again today, back to that format, to uh, have a little fun. Been a real good trip, man. We we hit some rump, bumpy roads here and there, as we've talked about in the past. Here lately, man, we've been hitting our stride, and it's been going real good. And we're just, like you said, we're trying to hit that western shore. So, Bobby, today we are going to be talking about Bruiser Brody. Yes. You know, for a guy who's as storied as he was, his he's got a basic style of match that just keeps repeating. Um, so <laughs> you start doing research, and you're like, okay, well, here's the basics. He come yeah. out, he whip ass, and um, and there you go, you know? There you go, man, yep. Yeah, we've been looking forward to this one, too, because we had pretty much got off Season 5 planned out while we were doing Season 4 just to stay ahead of the games so and wouldn't stress and, and have to do a lot of research just in one week's time and stuff like that. And once again, the professor has come through, wrestling fans, with some good research. Uh, we just combined little notes here and there, and he's been sparting me up on how to get some notes back and forth to him. And we didn't even have to trade horses this week, man. He just had... 10 great things and actually there's a lot more than 10 we just go through them you know but uh um, you heard one right there the, the hus should it get a mention you know with his uh breathing tone you know going through there but yeah we just got a lot of good stuff lined up and and i hope you folks enjoy this podcast man yeah this is actually one we've been talking about doing a bruiser brody episode since right after we did dusty Yes, that's how long ago it was. Yeah. And I think Dusty was like number four, so, yeah. you know, long time ago. So it's just one of those uh, ones we were kind of sitting on and waiting until the time was right. And, you know, fortunately, I don't, I think it's probably best we didn't tackle it last year when things were as fucked up as they were. This right, way we right. could actually give it its proper attention and do here. Yeah. So let's, uh, before we start, let's hit a couple news stories real quick. Bobby, you want to talk to us about point number one here? Yes. Uh, Rest in peace, Kamala, man. You know, James Harris, big, big guy there, made it, broke in down in Memphis, you know, with Jerry Lawler and that group. Big 6'8", 360, maybe 400 pounds, where it was. I remember when he debuted, of course, I was younger. Hell, fuck, I was younger 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Um, what I meant was I was in my teens when he came on, and it wasn't until I got older when I realized and they started to say, you know, oh, that was filmed in uh, Jerry Jarrett's backyard where Kamala, the Ungungan giant. And, of course, I had no idea that it was J.J. Dillon or James Dillon that come up and was managing him at the time. But um, someone outside of, you know, the, the Memphis there, like uh, Jimmy Hart or, or, or Jim Cornette or whatever. So it was really unique, and this guy just made his presence on, presence on the ring. He just come out there, and it was scary. You know, it was one of the scary gimmicks. Yeah. And uh, he passed away. He's had some health issues the last few years. He, he did the whole thing where they – he beat everyone. I think he started with Bobby Fulton all the way through the whole Terry Taylor and whoever else with some of the baby faces that were there in, in uh, uh, the Memphis territory. I guess he beat them for several weeks until the build up with Lawler, you know, and then Lawler gets them. 
Then I think he went to Mid-South next and kind of the same thing and just got that big break in Mid-South because, uh, you know, the TV audience from there and just kept building his character, building his career up uh, to where I know he wrestled in a couple WrestleManias, but I know he wrestled uh, The Undertaker in one of the WrestleManias. So that's pretty daggone good, man, to, uh, you know, to have that kind of career. Just uh, uh, the wrestling world is just, you know, may rest in peace. Um, like I said, he has some health problems. And hopefully now he's just in a better place. Um, and we do want to remember and honor him. And, heck, we might do a top ten on Kamala one day. You never know, man. Yeah. But uh, I just want to get that out there. And I'm sure all the fans, you know, are aware of that by now by the time you hear our podcast. But we appreciate it. Appreciate his efforts in the ring and entertaining us and, and, and working his butt off and, and being a performer that he was, you know. Because um, he was one of those guys that was just uh, – uh, just we have to say it, Jeremy. He was a performer and he entertained. He done his job. You know yeah, what I'm absolutely. So, there uh, you go. Um, was it one of the guys I work with was reminding me about when uh, Kamala? I don't know if they were setting him up for a match with the Undertaker or what it was, but he, when the Undertaker show up, Kamala looked like a panicked animal. Oh yeah, that was yeah. great. Yeah, because you know you, you figure what they were shooting for was like a primitive guy seeing a walking corpse, and he just freaked the fuck out. Yes. Um, that I think more than anything really showed off his range to show what that character was or w- what he was doing with that character. Yeah. From, from being a killer, basically, you know, yeah. like you said, a wild man, but then being also, uh, being billed from Africa and, and this and that and uh, Uganda, the thing is, and then he's seeing, like you said, a living corpse. You're like, he, this, the sale there was great. Yeah. And every time you had to build up and stuff. And that's, that's how you do business, man. That's good. Yeah. That's yeah, good. Good recall on that. But anyway, um, I know you got some big news. We're going to move on from that, uh, concerning the, uh, the NWA and a UWN, right? Uh, yes, that's right. You know, real quick before we do that, though, I, I did want to bring this up. So last okay, weekend, sorry. last weekend, my son comes over, right? And he goes, hey, did you hear that Kamala died? And I said, yeah. He goes, did you know his name was uh, James Harris? And I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure I knew that. He goes, did you know one of the headlines read Kamala Harris dies? (laughs) (laughs) It was just like two days after she had been named the vice presidential nominee for the Democratic Party. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good, another good recall. Y'all wasn't trying to cut you off there. No, no, no that's know. fine. Uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, we got a new VP um, uh, candidate there. Yeah, that's good. So it, it actually said Kamala's hair died. <laughs> yep. Um, I got you. So, yeah, yeah, that was kind of funny. It was just, you know, timing was kind of weird there. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, there's been a joint um, piece of news coming out of both the National Wrestling Alliance and the United Wrestling Network, which is Dave Marquez. Uh you know, something he set up for his promotions, but also basically if you have a wrestling promotion with a TV deal, you can join the United Wrestling Network. That was the idea behind it. Okay. And you get access to their world tag titles and their TV title. Um, but I know there had been plans for a world championship as well. So now we come ahead to this coming out of, you know, COVID and then Dave Lagana being forced to uh, resign uh, from the NWA, and there's kind of questions as to what the future holds. Well, the NWA and UWN have announced that there's going to be weekly joint pay-per-views where their titles are going to be on the line. From the sounds of it, anybody from the NWA or UWN can compete, as well as anybody who is not under contract somewhere else that is like exclusive can compete That's for cool. titles there, yeah. And I think it's going to be on Fight TV, right? Uh, it's going to be uh, on Fight. I believe it's also going to be on regular pay-per-view as well. Okay. Like I know the pay-per-view. So do you, 
you can get it either or. You can be a, uh, subscribe to Fight TV, or you just get it, you can pay as you go. Yeah, I, I believe okay. so. Now I got to check with Fight. Does Fight have a subscription, or is it is it weekly? I don't know for sure, but we'll okay. find out and we'll talk I just, about you know, it. It says it's going to premiere uh, September the fifteenth at nine p.m. Yeah, uh, from Thunder Studios. So um, just uh, anyway. I know you sent it out to me. I didn't do a lot of research on it. I was busy with the Brody stuff and some other things. But, yeah, that's exciting news. So I guess it'll be a weekly pay-per-view then. Yeah, and I'm just happy to hear the NWA actually has a plan going forward. Right, Um, right, absolutely. Now, this makes me wonder, are they going to launch the UWN world title? And is it going to be something that you carry both the NWA and the UWN title? Or are they going to be completely separate? Because two world champions on one show doesn't make sense unless it's one guy carrying both. Yeah, I got you. Know, you. At least at least the way I see it. And also then okay. it will add a lot of credibility kind of to both titles, you know. Right. Yeah. So that was well, the, sounds good, man. Yeah, that was the story there, but I did want to announce they have some uh they have some NWA plans and I'm happy to hear that. Okay. Anything else we need to go over real quick? Uh, um just the fact that not only are you a podcast host, a former pro wrestler, a wrestling consultant, but you're also an author. Yes, I am, and I've got a couple books out there, and if you'd like to help the show out a little bit, uh, the show gets a little bit of kickback, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my books. I've got two books out there, and Jeremy, the professor here, has set it up real easy way you can get it. They're both available on Amazon, but the easiest way to get them is do this. Go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1, and you can get pin me, pay me, have boostable travel. It's all about me breaking into the, uh, from my youth, being athletic, to breaking into professional wrestling, traveling all over the world, Europe, Australia, South Africa, um, England, uh, all over Canada, a little bit touched down in Mexico, just a bit, not much. But um, that's in book one. It's called um, Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boost, We'll Travel. You can go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1. My second book, which came out a couple years ago, is called um, I Kicked Out on Two, The Education of a Wrestler. You can get that. Again, when I use these tiny URLs, guys, the show gets a little bit of kickback, and it helps us put more money into our advertising, which we're really just a grassroots podcast right now. We haven't haven't pumped a lot into it, but we're starting to pick up momentum again, and we appreciate it. But if you'll use tinyurl.com slash blazebook2, you can get my second book called I kicked out on the educa- I kicked out on two the educational wrestler I'm trying to get ahead of myself there yep. Jeremy sorry about that easy but for anyway, you to say but anyway got them couple of books yeah um, and you know the thing is I we don't get a whole lot of kickback out of it but every little cent does help and uh, the professor and myself were talking for one on the air we've picked up a few more listeners so if you're new to the podcast welcome aboard man we appreciate it and some of you hardcore guys that's been around for a while we appreciate you too we always get some good feedback. Um, you know, uh, shoot Adams out there. Uh, I don't want to leave anyone off. Uh, John across the pond there. Um, we've got, uh, I am, uh, vacated. He's still around. I'm sure he's mm-hmm. still around somewhere. Um, again, I don't want to leave you off those guys. You know, they always uh, give us a little information. I think Glenn up in, uh, Glenn trying to think, Oh shoot. I think he's across the pond too. Um, but yes, yeah, these guys man, to give us a listen. We appreciate it because they, uh, they give us some direction, you know, too. We always appreciate the feedback. So, uh, again, just get one of my books if you already got one. Um, we appreciate it. Uh, like I said, Jeremy, I don't know if he's going to smile 
or not because of his Amazon affiliate account. But I know I get a little smile on my face when I open up my um, Amazon and I say, okay, all right, made a couple bucks off a book this month, you know. So uh, that's be- that that's better than a cold boot in the ass. How's that? <laughs> it's better than a poke in an eye with a dull stick. That is for there sure. There you go, man. Um, with that said, Jeremy, I'm just going to lead you into the next thing here. Uh, why don't you tell them about our anchor spot if you don't care? Uh, I don't mind. All right. So, uh, that is my totally spontaneous, not rehearsed or pre-recorded, uh, <laughs> pitch for, uh, Anchor FM. Yeah. Yeah. And you can hear us on any, anywhere you're listening to us now, just keep listening. But, uh, we do appreciate Anchor FM, uh, you know, dot FM, however, but you listen to Jeremy's, he'll tell you, he's, he won't steal you wrong. I might, I might lead you down a fucking dark alley. You never yeah. know. But yeah, basically yes, you can anywhere you want to listen to us. We should be there. We should be on iHeartRadio. Spotify, uh, Spreaker, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts. Uh, we're on like 30 different formats. Yeah. So anywhere you want to find us, you should be able to find us. Absolutely, man. And we appreciate any feedback. We had a couple reviews. I looked at a couple the other day on the Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I, I listened to the playback on Tuesday morning, and um, I pulled up the uh, reviews. There was a recent review. We appreciate it. There were actually two recent reviews, one from a guy in Tennessee, and I think the other guy's from Kentucky, so we appreciate that, you know, the old Smoky Mountain Territory. But like I said, I've already mentioned a couple people I hear from, John Across the Pond, and I, I'm pretty sure uh, there's a couple guys that write from overseas. You know, so we're heard worldwide, and we appreciate that very much. Uh, we was real popular in France for a while. I'm not sure what happened to our French yeah. uh, friends, but um, we appreciate you listening wherever you're listening to us at. And send us some feedback. Uh, we've got this, like I said, this is episode number 75, man. And we've got, uh, you know, we're gonna, we've got another eight, nine episodes uh, for this season planned. So we appreciate it. We've hopefully going to have some interviews lined up. Uh, but everything else is pretty much solid and set. We're ready to go. Damn straight. Well, let's um, let's stop doing all the bush, uh, what do they call it, banding around the bush or whatever, and yeah. uh, get down to brass tacks here. And let's talk about Bruiser Brody. Absolutely, man. Frank Donald Goodish, born June 8th, 1946, passed away July 17th, 1988. Uh, we're not going to talk about it. Um, let me just write what Jeremy put here, and I like how he said it, so I'm going to skip around here, Jeremy, real quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone probably knows that Brody was killed in Puerto Rico, outright murdered, but we're here to praise Brody, not bury him, okay? So we're going to make this uh, about his life, not about his death. You know, you can go watch The Dark Side of the Ring or, you know, go read any number of articles or, or watch any number of interviews on YouTube, and, and you'll see, you know, that's pretty much everything that popped up. I'm sure it didn't use doing your research was, was Brody's death, but we're not yeah. really going to talk about that. Um, you know, his greatest ring name was Bruiser Brody. That was what he's best known as. But um, he also worked as uh, King Kong Brody. The Mask uh, Marauder and uh, Red River Jack, right? Yes, he did. Obviously, his biggest point was Bruiser Brody, uh, but he did kind of he did kind of get started in a slightly roundabout way. He he went to school in West Texas where he played football there. Right. Um. He briefly, I believe you smartened me up on. He briefly played for the Redskins. Yep. And then uh, went to the CFL, but I'm not sure what team. Yeah, it didn't really say. Uh, I, it said it had a hit. The article I read a couple of times said had a cup of coffee with the Redskins, and then he went to the CFL. Um, and then, of course, uh, I wasn't sure about this. Jeremy smartened me up about it. He put a question mark about it. He was trained by who? He was, that would be by uh, Fritz, Fritz von Erich. Yeah, 
And wow. I, I wasn't sure about that, but yeah, he, he went to West Texas state. So, you know, a lot of greats out of there, the funk brothers and, and, you know, just name whoever you want that that's been through there. That's wrestled. Uh, they've produced, you know, Tully Blanchett was there. I mean, just tons and tons of great guys. I don't keep name dropping. Everyone that's a wrestling fan listening to our podcast probably knows that, but Brody played there. I think he played for Idaho, maybe for like a semester or something. So ended up not working out. He went to West Texas. One of the stories that, uh, I think Stan Hansen talks about him when he, you know, he broke in just that real big natural strength looking guy kind of like stan we'll get in that a little bit later yeah so i guess he had this uh you know he's six eight three hundred pounds big man uh maybe not cut out for football but he sure as hell was cut out for professional wrestling you yeah know? he was yeah so we're we're back to our top 10 format this yes. this week so i'm gonna start with number 10 brody's ring entrance yes immigrant song was his intro music i mean that's if you think about Brody coming to the ring, that's the first thing you think of, right? Absolutely, man. The next thing you think about is this giant hulk of a man swinging a chain while coming through the audience on his way to the ring. And I know, okay, so Immigrant Song is obviously, for those who know the Led Zeppelin song, is about Viking raiders coming off the dragon boats and ripping ass wherever they go. When you watch Brody come to the ring, you kind of understand how the English Christians felt the first time they saw <laughs> boatloads of Danes landing on their beaches. Yeah. Uh, that was a shit-your-pants kind of holy-shit moment watching Brody come to the ring. Yeah, basically take no prisoners, take no names, just kick ass. <laughs> yep. Um, so I got to see Brody. Got to mm -hmm. see him live. Okay. And I'll have to be honest, I've done some hard thinking on this. I do not recall if they was playing the immigrant song. I, I'll tell you why. I saw him in Huntington, West Virginia. I was uh the summer I was seventeen years old at the memorial it was at the old memorial field house there. And I know they had music back then. I do know that. I just don't recall him coming out to that song. And I tell you why I don't recall it. Because when he came out of the locker room there was these tables. They were probably about 10 or 12 foot long tables and they were, they were solid wood. They were not these tables, the veneer wood or anything like that with a, a little bit of metal on them. These were big, solid, probably two by sixes. Jesus. wooden tables that they had as a barricade for, for the wrestlers to enter the ring. Now, just around the ring, they just had the, the, the roped off area. Yeah. But on each side, they had an aisle that was probably about 75 feet probably out to the ring. And, and those tables, you know, there's probably about 10 of them on each side, so about 20 tables. And they were these big, heavy tables. That's my point, like a big, heavy picnic table thing. Okay. It wasn't this cheap shit like today, you know. Like a real bumper on a car was metal at the, you know, and chrome at one time. Mm -hmm. It was like that, a real table. So that's why I don't remember the song because, dude, he come out of the locker room and he started flipping fucking tables. I mean, just end over end and fucking people were scattering because everyone's up against those tables. And like I said, I was about 17, getting ready, you know, in high school, getting ready to start my junior year. He come out and he started to grab like one end of one table and flipped it up and then went to the other side. And, you know, I had like about 10 foot walkway there. Now, he didn't hit every table, but damn sure if he didn't hit, a, you know, about 20 of them, he hit about 15 of them, pushing them sideways. You know, I mean, a couple of them tables in my mind, I'm telling you, they went end over fucking end. Okay, he got to the ring, was going crazy, and that's pretty much all I remember other than this right here. He wrestled Harley Race. Oh, shit. 
So when Harley Race come out there, of course, he attacked them. Brody did because he's already fired up. And they just had a match that kind of follows a suit of a Brody match. It wasn't a typical Harley Race match. It was more of a typical, let's get in here. We're going to fucking brawl and go. Um, I think maybe, you know, some some punches were thrown in the ring. Probably Harley did probably suplex him or something like that. But most of it was just a brawl, all-out brawl to the ring. Or once, once Brody got to the ring when Harley did come out, they did about probably seven, eight minutes, and then they fought back to the locker room, and that was that. Yeah. But um, it was pretty cool because I get to see him. That's my one and only time seeing him. Of course, I got to watch him a lot on, on tape like a lot of people have, especially, you know, the Japanese stuff, which we'll get into a little bit later on. But that was just that was something memorable. And I'd, I'd love to tell you I remember that song when he come out because I don't. But the impressive thing was these were big-ass wooden tables. He was kicking ass on the way to the ring. Fans were scattering, just like you see on the videos from Japan. And uh, when Harley come out, he come out ready to go. And they just went at it. They brawled, and they went to the back, and that was that. And uh, no one felt like, you know, we get to see a heavyweight title or smartened up to like, oh, you know, we didn't see a wrestling match. We saw a fucking fight. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of my Brody story. You know, I'd love to tell you I hung out afterwards and got his autograph or no, nothing like that, man. It's just main event, come out, kick ass. They did it and they got the fuck back to the locker room and everyone went home, you know, yep. happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, and uh, Vacated tagged us both in a video on Twitter and it was Brody coming into the ring and it's in Japan and the crowd's booing him. And, and he grabs his chain and runs back into the crowd and starts swinging at it. And you just see like four rows of people just disperse, just bail the mm. fuck out. I mean, you know, I was at a match one time with my kid where their, their champ was like some big dirty hobo look, well, not even hobo, just a big hairy motherfucker. And he was in the ring spitting into the crowd. Ah. And <laughs> that was one of those things where I'm just like, Okay, that's that's too close. I can't even imagine having a guy just come barreling into the crowd over the over the railing and swinging a chain at your heads. Yeah. Holy shit. That is something that would never happen today. Yeah. And the Japanese people love that though. Oh they yeah. They love when they go out to the crowd over there. So Oh yeah, well, you know, you, you see you see like when the crowd rushes the edge of the ring in Japan and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's the Japanese crowd's pretty wild and you've told me before that you could leave T-shirts on everybody's chair and all the T-shirts would still be there when everybody left. Yeah. Good fans over there, man. Good fans. Absolutely. But there's a lot of good wrestling fans all around the world. We're going to talk about a few other places because we know that as we're talking here, Brody was known worldwide. You know, we've yes. mentioned Puerto Rico and Japan and all over the United States. He was known worldwide, man. I know we're going to go to number nine. How about that? Yeah. So this match, I think, took place. Uh, somewhere in the world, I think it was in Florida, as a matter of fact. I believe you are correct. And number nine is the cage match with Lex Luger. Pretty much, uh, if you haven't seen this on YouTube, started off like any other match. You know, each of them. And Luger was real green at this time. You know, big body built. You know, they just kind of size each other up. And just, um, you can just see it as a match. As it starts, Luger looks kind of confused. They're doing a couple little things. And uh, you want to take over? You want to kind of finish some of this Oh, yeah, no, no, you go right ahead. Okay. So, basically, Brody just stopped selling during the match. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, too, in detail. If he didn't want to sell, he just didn't sell. We'll go on that later on. But right in this match, he just kind of stopped selling. And um, some things happen, and the crowd just starts turning on both wrestlers. And Luger's like, you know, what the hell is going on here? I mean, he really... Doesn't know what the hell is going on. He's trying to punch him, trying to kick him. Maybe if a couple of stiff kicks didn't, nothing, 
nothing happened. No. I think Brody actually stood in a the corner there at one time, didn't he? Yes, he did. And uh, okay. Lex was firing off shots. And by mm-hmm. this point, by this point, the fucking fans have turned on him. And yeah. you can and you can see like Lex is a little confused at the beginning. As you get towards the end of the match, he's looking. He's just looking at Bill Alfonso like, "What the fuck am I supposed yeah. to do with this?" Yeah. So um, I guess he goes ahead and they they the referee does a DQ and and bails out or whatever as you put it. But basically, he he Luger's like, you know, did I fuck up? Did I do something wrong? Because he eventually just gets out of he climbs out of ring and leaves. And I'm sure the fans are just like baffled too, like, what the fuck did we just now see? You mm-hmm. know. And uh, basically, Brody just had a bad night because I think his answer to uh, when I think Luger is on there on the because uh, I'm not trying to bury Luger by any means, but I think one of the videos when you they ask him or he asked Brody, did I do something wrong? And he said no, and that was it. it That's wasn't it. Like any explanation it was just like no, you know. So um, we all have an off night, and that must have been an off night for Brody. I don't know if it had to do with his pay, the no selling, it just. Like I said, the opponent didn't do anything wrong. Uh, knowing Bill Alfonso, he uh, Fonzie's a good little referee, especially back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, he's probably yelling at both of them, trying to, you know, like, what the fuck's going on, too? Because I'm sure he was trying to – he's smart enough to the business to know, like, uh, hey, you know, what's going on? Let me – are you stuck? Are you – I need to put you somewhere? You know, what's going on? So he's just as confused, too, and, and uh, he's selling it legit, just like Luger was, like, fuck, what what I do, you know? Yeah. So uh, that's our number nine is that cage match took place in Florida uh, with Lex Luger and Bruiser, Bru- Bruiser Brody in the cage. Yeah. And and, it is on YouTube. Well, and I was going to say, can you, you know, can you imagine a Florida crowd with a cage match that doesn't get bloody? That's, yeah. I mean, first off, that's you're going to be turning the fans off immediately there, you know? Because, mm-hmm. you know, cage matches used to just, that was just a reason to bleed back in the day. Oh, yeah, blood yeah. pass back in the day. Yeah. Um, I believe, yeah, you're right. Lex was green at the time, but I think he was Florida uh, heavyweight champion at this point. Too. Yeah, I think so. You know, he was trained by Hiro Masuda. <laughs> yeah, he know, was. He had legitimate, and he is a legitimate athlete. I mean, Lex, you know, even though I'm saying he's green at that time, because he, he was, I think he had under two years in the wrestling business, mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. But, no, he had, he had the Florida heavyweight title. Uh, you know, he was getting a big push. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, we, we can talk about when he gets to Charlotte or whatever. We're just talking about still in Florida. You know, he's getting a big push. Uh, name recognition. He played for the football team there in Tampa. Um, uh, fucking drawing a blank, um, the uh, USXL team. Anyway, point being, um, that Florida crowd, man, what they was exposed to, just um, they had some of the best wrestling in the world. That territory had some yeah. of the top. You know, guys up and coming to guys that had been all over the world, you know, they had hot arenas every night, man, and uh, doing sellouts and stuff. So those fans were pretty smart and pretty educated to the wrestling business. So I'm sure once they turned on them, it was just there was no way they were going to get them back. You know, oh, like you said, Brody's yeah. had a bad night, and it was, there was going to be no way they were going to get them fans back. And I'm sure they all left uh, really pissed off or disappointed, at, especially after that match. But, yeah. again, it's, you know, someone had an off night. Um, I guess over the next couple of years after this, as often as you could get Brody to break character and just talk about something that happened, um, he said he was worried about the payout that night. Mm. Uh, another time, I guess he said that he was told that Lex wasn't going to sell for him. But you can see in the match that Lex does sell for him. So oh yeah, that that wasn't it. Um, another I think was um, I, I can't. I heard a third one, but what it looked like to me was he just wasn't feeling it. He was just like, nah, fuck it. 
when when you put on there in the notes, I thought that really something. He just had a bad night. I, I think that's what it kind of you know. I'm sure like we, we talk about some of the payoffs and things like that. The way Brody was his own man and stuff. I think that's probably just the best answer. He just he just had an off night. Yeah, you know, he just wasn't feeling it. Whatever. It's just uh, just for whatever reason. Because yeah, Luger looked like yeah he he was willing to work and sell. You know. Um, yeah, and so, so yeah, Brody just was you know. And look, we we've all had days we get to work and we're just like yeah. I am doing yeah. bare fucking minimum today. Yeah. yeah. And it's nobody's fault. It's just, you know, that day you're not, you're not there. You're not in yeah. it, you know? Um, let's go on to number eight. Cause I think okay. this is actually one of the cooler ones. Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen as a tag team. Fuck. You talk about clearing people out. Yeah. <laughs> Got a bull rope and a cowbell with one guy and the other guy swinging a damn chain. You better get the hell out of there, man. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine just being in the stands for that? Now, I guess they were first tagged together in the 70s for Leroy McGurk in Louisiana. Yeah, I saw you put that in the notes there, man. Again, good research by the professor. So, um, but he also, uh, I guess when he was ready to jump to all Japan, he got with, uh, Stan Hansen got with Brody to make sure it was all going to be cool. Yep. Cause that's where we mostly remember all their work at, even though, uh, they, you know, Brody broke in like 73 and he actually, uh, hell he wrestled Bruno, uh, in Madison square garden I yeah. mean, for the WWF, uh, WWWF even maybe. So yeah, he'd been around, but by the time, uh, in Japan there, so he first tagged together in 75, but you're talking about the late, um, what was it, maybe? late 70s, early 80s, probably yeah. 80, 81, 82 is probably where you start seeing some of those matches. 83, I think, uh, is what you've got down here. Um, the PWF World Tag Team Championship, they defeated. So Brody and Hanson defeated uh, Giant Baba and Dory Funk Jr. in a tournament final. Yeah. And yeah, 1983. There you go. World's Strongest uh, Tag Team uh, Determinate, what was it, Determination League there? Yep. That was a tag tournament and, that they uh, ran in Japan. There you go. And probably two of the scariest guy jeans in Japan. That, that's that's a shoot, man. Them guys, like you said, we are, one of them swinging a damn cow, uh, rope and a cowbell, and the other one swinging a damn chain. And the way both of them looked, and as big as they were, and strong as they were, oh yeah, man, you're gonna get the fuck out of there when they come through there. Well, like I said, tossing tables and flipping fans, you know. Yeah, I mean, Brody was six eight, three hundred pounds, well, three hundred plus pounds, I believe. Yeah. And Stan Hansen's what six four, six five. Yeah. And three twenty, three thirty, I think. Yeah. And so you watch those two guys in Japan, and not not you know not picking on people or making fun, but Japanese people are typically smaller than Americans. Especially when you're talking about two gigantic fucking Americans who come out with crazy hair, covered in fucking chewing tobacco, swinging shit around. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit, you know. Man, and, yeah. You know, and at this point in this career, actually, I just want to give a little credit because I don't know a whole lot about Giant Baba, but his career was winding down at this point. So instead of running the company and being the guy with all the titles, he had put himself in a position where. He would work in tag teams and uh, six-man tags and kind of yep. put himself in the background and kind of just hold out. So he wasn't one of those guys who kept pushing himself beyond. Now, he stayed active. He stayed working. Right, right. But he no, did just it. a good businessman. Yeah, he really was. And, and I I heard, um, as I was getting ready for this, I watched a lot of Stan Hansen interviews mm-hmm. talking about, you know, his time in AJ, uh, AJ oh, I'm sorry, AJPW and working with uh, Brody and getting ready to jump from New Japan to All Japan and and his, his just his love for Baba and Baba's family and how he was taken care of by them. 
Yeah. And we're yeah. going to see a thing here with guys like Brody where Baba took really good care of them. So, yeah. so the, the wrestlers wouldn't do anything that would reflect negatively on them when they went back to work in Japan for Baba. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, like, uh, you know, keeping a belt that you shouldn't keep and shit like that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we, you go again, go to YouTube. Um, you can find lots of matches on there. Uh, just tons of, uh, Brody matches. The thing is, you're going to find a lot of them in Japan and also with um, Abby, we'll talk about in the future, but um, with uh, Hanson and stuff, because again, everything took place prior to 1988. So there's, there's, you're talking, you know, usually about 79 or 80 through about 87, I think, most of that that took place, uh, about an eight year, nine year period at the most. But there are, there is some footage on there to watch that. And speaking of YouTube, we've got a YouTube channel. It's got about 8,000 subscribers. We appreciate that. Um, Tex, big shout out to you. Hope you're doing okay down there in the boiler room, buddy. Um, he takes, he takes care of our YouTube page. Um, Hopefully it'll be up and running again soon. But in the meantime, you can go to tinyurl.com BB, BB video and check out the uh, videos already up on there. There's a lot of them on there and um, I hope you enjoy them. But uh, I don't think we have any Brody ones or handsome ones up there. And eventually we hope to have some of those up there as we're talking about our, our top 10 with some of these uh, people, you know, that we've done here, here recently. So uh, go visit our YouTube channel. If you get a chance, uh, hell, like I said, you don't have to visit our channel to go out there and check out some of this footage, especially when he's coming to the ring, swinging that damn chain, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, and then once they get in a ring, you know, strictly business, there's no, uh, excuse me, there's no holding back, man. They go balls all out in the ring, man. Oh that's yeah. That's what was known for. And that's what Brody was known for. Shit, they leave it all in the ring. I mean, they yeah, really absolutely. Do. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I do want to say, just while we're talking about YouTube, guys, take the time to go find some championship wrestling from Florida back in the day. Oh yes. Holy shit. Bobby, I've sent you a couple of their, their big shows and I, so, you know, didn't growing up on the West coast, didn't get to see any of this. And I'm discovering these 30-year-old matches now, and I am just floored by the shit they were doing down there. Yeah, there's actually a channel. Um, it's uh, some, uh, like 801 North Albany or something. It's actually some footage from the Sportatorium down in Florida Championship, Champion Wrestling Ship, Champion Ship Wrestling from Florida, mm-hmm. CWF, I think it is. Yep. There's some killer matches on there, man. Uh, some young guys up and coming that, that are future stars, but you're going to see it right when they're having those matches. You're like, oh my goodness. You can see this, uh, a young Paul Orndorff. Uh, uh, there's, uh, when the Funks came through, of course, you got all the, uh, there's, uh, there's a several Mike Graham, uh, matches on there. Um, just, uh, the one that you sent me was really good. It was from 85. It was, uh, uh, Battle of the Belts number one. There's also a Battle of the Belts number two that took place in tampa but uh there's just some some good wrestling on that and that's like me i i'd see some of them guys in magazine and stuff growing up like everyone knows i grew up on the memphis wrestling mm-hmm. but when i went to florida and some of the guys that was training you know some of the guys i were training with and i got to see some of the, the they had videos you know tape collectors and this and that i was like holy shit i missed a lot of the, the, just watching them you know studying them because a lot of stuff i was seeing was stuff i was learning in the ring of time it's so much very basic you know like oh shit a wing lock top wrestling actual wrestling yeah and then working towards your angles and stuff and so 
So uh, I didn't get to see that stuff till I was a little bit older too. And now, of course, we're talking about YouTube. Get to go back and release some of it. I follow like Bob Cook, who, uh, who trained with uh, Sean Waltman. I see they put up some old. They were from Florida. They grew up down there. So I see them posting some of the stuff like similar to you do as far as the old championship wrestling Florida tapes. And that's pretty cool, man, to see some of that uh, stuff. So, so we move on, Jeremy. Yes, we shall. Uh, number seven. He lived the gimmick, man. No yeah. Doubt. So uh, you got to remember, this was the days of kayfabe. You did not break kayfabe. And Brody, when he was Brody, you got full Brody. There was no, there was no pretending that he was anything other than Brody when he was in character. You know. Yeah. Um. You know, to the point where uh, there are interviews you can find, or there is an interview you can find where he says he doesn't want people to know that Frank Goodish is Bruiser Brody. Yeah. And, you know, his, what his second wife has just said that he was a total family man. that's like sweet and gentle and loving and great with the kids. And, you know, just a very distinct, he kept his personal life and his private life separate. Yeah. Um, I put out a couple of tweets asking for anyone to send out any information or something. They might have had a top reason why they, you know, loved Bruiser Brody or why what should be in our top ten. And uh, a couple people did hit me up that said uh, he was a complete family man. So I thought that was pretty cool, and I knew it'd eventually be on a list here somewhere. And here it is. Uh, you know, he lived the gimmick, but also when he was home off the road or whatever, you know, he was a, a caring husband and a loving father, and, and uh, you know, just being the man. That he was, you know, so yeah. there you go. Live the gimmick, Brody. Live the gimmick. Yep. And, you know, before uh, before he got into wrestling, he was actually a sports writer in Texas. Yeah, I forgot. You know what? Well, he had a degree in journalism. That's yeah. right. I think yeah. that's, yeah. I just, when you said that, I, man, I don't think we put that in our notes. Uh, when you say, that's right. Good good recall, professor. Hell yeah. Yeah, because so it was. Right there's why he's the professor. Well, it was <laughs> something I was hoping to find out a little bit more about, but, you know, it's just that he, he wrote a sports column, and which, I mean, it's still pretty cool. I mean, being a columnist was a big deal back in the day. Oh, yeah. Well, newspapers meant something. Yeah, and he would have done it while he was younger. Look, my ex-wife wrote a film column for our old newspaper, and that was cooler than shit, you know. That is cool, man. Yeah. So, yeah, but Frank Goodish, you know, had had a very serious career and then got into wrestling, and then Bruiser Brody had a very dominant career. And there, there's, like a, there's a hard curtain between the two from the looks of it. Well, he was such a dominant man, we'll take us to number six. How's that? Yeah, that worked. He drew a crowd wherever he went, and he could write his own check wherever he went. And sometimes promoters didn't like it, uh, so he'd just move on. I'll tell you this. Brody was his own man. Yeah. You know, he, he, he worked. Like we mentioned, he worked out there in Texas, uh, West Texas. He worked for WWF, um, some places like that. Of course, we mentioned Puerto Rico and Japan. But the thing about Brody was um, I think he had uh, – Malenko had this old saying, and I think this probably fits Brody. He'd say there's only two kinds of um, two kinds of promoters, Bobby, bad and worse. <laughs> so I think Brody, I think he tried to take care of the boys and take care of himself. He took care of himself first, number one. Like, I'm Bruiser Brody, and I'm getting a percentage of this gate. And so I think he took upon himself to say there's only two kinds of promoters, bad and worse, because he made sure he got his, because if he didn't get his – you know, uh, he probably wasn't going to work that night. Or um, I heard a couple of stories, one by um, uh, Bruce Pritchard tells about, um, uh, shoot, uh, Buck Robley had booked him. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess the money wasn't right. And he went in the ring and he was, uh, Buck Robley was, was the booker out in Houston. And he was uh, 
he had him going against Jim Duggan, if I'm not mistaken. And Brody got in a ring and it sat there. And Buck was supposedly managing uh, Jim, <laughs> but he's over yelling and pleading with Brody to get up off the mat and do something to work. And he's like, I'm not doing it. The money's not right. And I guess he pretty much, I don't know, way before the Lex Luger thing, I guess, but Brody just decided, you know what, I'm not working tonight, and he didn't work. Yeah. You know? And I guess he would go out too, and if uh, you know, he was getting X amount of the house, if I'm supposed to get 15% of this, and he looked around, he'd stand there and look around and go back and say, you know, I'm not – I'm not working night unless I get this. You're not paying me what you're. So he stood up for himself, and that that um, could be detrimental to a career. Yeah. Um, nowadays, um, you know, it's a lot different than you know. He was raw independent contractors. Imagine that working from these big companies that don't give these guys insurance and 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 this and yeah. that. I'm not going that big rant. I'm just saying, but basically, he went to where the money was at, and oh, yeah. where he went, he drew crowds, and he knew. This name, Bruiser Brody's going to draw, and you're going to pay me what I'm asking, and I'm going to get my money, or I'm just not going to fucking, you know, not going to work. That's the way it is. I'll just move on. Uh, he didn't care if it was Vince Senior, uh, you know, and it, when he was over in Japan, of course, he was very well taken care of. He was one of the first guys, him and Hanson, to go back to that. They were able to make, you know, 10 and 12, I think up to about $20,000 a week and only work, you know, 10 or 12, 15 weeks out of the year. So they can make a good living. So they, they didn't have to necessarily go and kiss someone's ass in WWE or NWA or Georgia championship or, you know, out in West Texas or wherever, you know, or in the case of, uh, we spoke about, um, Stan Hansen a few weeks ago in AWA, he just took the title and left burn and, and, and went to Japan and done six months, you know, because yeah. you go over there and work, you know, 10, 15 times a year, and uh, or 15 weeks out of year and make just as much money, if not more than what anyone else is making in a world of professional wrestling, you know? Oh yeah. Well, and so, that's, uh, that was he stood the thing. Up for himself. Well, yeah. And so, you know, you'll, this is, this is one of those weird spots. Cause there's a lot of guys that if we heard this about, we'd shit on them, but Brody did this in a way where you got to kind of respect him. Like, He'd come out, yeah. he'd, he'd, he'd fucking judge the room. He could see, okay, you know, the gate is this, there's this much money. I'm only making this. Well, fuck it. I'll kill the town and go back to fucking Puerto Rico. Yeah. And that was, you know, just like, that was like, you know, all right, fuck it. I, I don't care. I'll just stand in the ring and pretend I'm riding a scooter or something. I don't give a fuck. I, I think what it is, because such a strong personality and such um, one of those things where, like, he had such confidence in the name Bruiser Brody. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I wasn't trying to put it over and we're not trying to shit on it, but it, it could go either way. But it's one of the things he was, he was an independent contractor and he knew what his worth was. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So if he, if he did, the house was up and it's because he's there and he thought he deserved a certain payoff that he was going to get that certain payoff. And that's just the way it was, you know? Um, so yeah, good, different and bad, uh, indifferent or bad or whatever that's the way he worked man he was an independent contractor and he took care of himself you know yeah. number one he he acted uh, like ceo of bruiser brody inc and that there was you go. yeah that was yeah. that because he knew again he knew that barring anything else he'd go back to work for Vern for a few weeks call baba up and then jump on a plane and work half a year and he's set yeah. And you got to remember, folks, that's at a time, too, and I'm sure most of our fans on this podcast understand, there's a time when there's a lot of work still available. You could do that. You got tired of working for Vern for a while. You made a call, and you, you, you went back over to Japan, or you went down to Georgia Championship, or NWA, or out 
to Kansas City or uh, go out to uh, L.A. and Sacramento and do to California. You know, just depend. Work for the Shires, mm-hmm. or if, if you wasn't working for New York, you know, um, you somewhere else. We're going to be talking about here in just a minute. You know, uh, out there in the Midwest or wherever. Oh yeah, so, well, uh, fuck Portland uh, was still hot too. You know. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. as we mentioned earlier, Florida, Florida was yep. still hot. So, um, all right. So this next one, Jeremy, I found this fact or fiction. Um, you want to read or you want me to? I'd, I'd really like you to read it because I found it and I don't know about it. I want you to tell me. And wrestling fans, if you know it's true, tell us. Is it fact or fiction? Yeah, because uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna pre- I'm gonna preface this real quickly and say yeah I want to know if it's fact or fiction, but if if there's even a chance this is true, this deserves to be on the top ten list because it's kind of a holy fuck eye opener. Uh, yeah, you, you led this off with WWE Tall Tales. Brody was reportedly offered a large sum of money to run in during the main event of the inaugural WrestleMania and attack the competitors. But he wasn't supposed to attack just any of the four combatants involved. Brody's shoot assault was to be focused solely on one of the biggest draws the company had at the time. Not Hulk Hogan, but his tag team partner, Mr. T. Uh, Fact or fiction? Um... So it didn't it didn't happen, but you know what? We know who who do they think paid him? Let me ask that. Do the, is I don't there, know. Okay. There, this law it said fact or fiction rumor from WrestleMania one, and I'm like I've never heard that rumor before. If anyone else out there has heard that rumor, please. You know we all heard the rumor about uh uh it wasn't a rumor I guess it's true that uh Sheik was to break mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan's leg for a hundred thousand dollars, bring the title back. To Vern or whatever, yep. but um, I've never heard this. I think it must be fiction. You know, I don't think it's a fact. But um, if anyone's going to do it, Brody would be the man to do it. But um, you know, if he's going to run in and beat someone up, I think just making an appearance there. Well, you know, and him being a business for himself. Yeah, how much? Who was paying him? How much were they paying him? And what would be the reason of beating up Mr. T other than you just wanted to beat the piss off Mr. T because the other three would be the guys that you'd be making money with in the future, not Mr. T. You'd just yeah. be beating him up to beat him up. You know what I'm saying? If you got in there and attacked T, it'd probably beat the piss out of him, whatever. There's nowhere to go from there except for, oh, independent star, uh, ruins WrestleMania or pops WrestleMania. I don't know. Yeah. But if he's going to do business, obviously it'd be to, you know, start some shit with Hogan. That'd be your top draw right there. Yeah. Uh, see, I could uh, see, I could see Vern offering a hundred thousand, but I could see floating it like an idea. Cause here's the thing. Brody had a kid <clears throat> and you know, well, you're a big badass and you're a hardcore motherfucker and you can get away with whatever you want. You're not going to do prison time. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that is not okay. something you're going to expose yourself to. I can see it being floated as an idea, though. Absolutely. Okay. If anyone has interest in any insight into that, please let us know. And I'll tell you how you can let us know. Hit me up on Twitter at BobbyBlaze744. Hit the professor here up at the Geekish Cast, or hit the joint account, which is Bell to Bell Blaze. All those are on Twitter. There's also a, um, a Facebook page. That uh, professor just, I'm sure it's under what, Bell to Bell Blaze. Mm-hmm. So uh, just find it. And if you have any information about that, let us know. Even if you don't, give us your opinion. I'd like to know. I'm thinking it's more fiction and fact, but um, man, this could be something we're exposing, you know, what, 30 some years after the fact. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and Brody would be the man to do it, I would imagine. You know, you got this wild outlaw out there. Um, like you said, 
big, tough, legitimate guy working on his own, makes his own money, got a family at home, got to take care of him. Someone offers him money. Uh, who knows? You kick it around. Uh, at I'll least. leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave it at that. Um, uh, number four here. Yeah, so we talked about this earlier. Go ahead, Professor. Yeah, so uh, he would not sell and he would not lose. I mean, he took a loss here and there as as he had to, but it was his yeah. call. Yep, and I understand that. I'll tell you why. Because he had such a big money deal in Japan. You know, Baba paid him very, very well. So. I didn't understand this a long time ago uh, when I was first breaking in, of course, and obviously things have changed then. But I remember with Dean Malenko, and I've, I've told this story before, so I'll make it really brief. Uh, he wouldn't work a lot of U.S. Uh, places, uh, and he wouldn't do any TVs. And the reason was because he was working for uh, first all Japan, then New Japan. You can't be getting beat up on American TV and still be a big star over in Japan. Right. You know? And so um, – Brody, being a businessman that he was, Hanson, the same thing. I'm sure several other guys, like I said, it a lot more than what I even know about. Like I said, they they were not willing to go on. The money wasn't worth it. If you're already making, like I said, I, I know at one point uh, when, it, when it started off, when I was reading about Hanson and Brody, they were back in way back when, they were making 10000 a week and working 10 to 15, you know, times a year, weeks per year. And there for a while, they were up over 20 weeks a year, and they were both making over 20000 a year. So you do the math. You know, you're making a half a million dollars, basically, working overseas. Yep. Um, that's not counting any independent dates you want to do, whether it be in Puerto Rico or on a special tour somewhere um, or any independence in the U.S. or Canada or Mexico or whatever. And where, again, we talked about earlier, he's making money and, and getting his payoff for when his name's appearing on the billboard, you know, inter, you know, Bruiser Bodie's name there for wrestling. So you can't, he couldn't just go out there and get beat for anyone. You know, um, I certainly understand that. So there was no reason, uh, same thing with Hanson, the way, um, some of them guys, uh, uh, Terry Gordy, uh, Doc yep. Williams, excuse me, all them guys, they had such good money deals. They didn't depend on, um, they didn't depend on the, you know, NWA or WWE, uh, WWF or AWA at the time, if they were making that kind of money over there, they would work for those companies and a bunch of other companies, whether it be in West Texas or Georgia or Florida or wherever. They would go there and work, but they were certainly going to have to stay strong if they worked there for one night or two weeks or wherever it was. They were just making some extra money. They sure as hell wasn't there to put someone else over and make them look good and kill their deal over in Japan. No, you know, absolutely not. It wasn't not. worth it. Yeah, and that's why you'll see a lot, um, and I don't think I'm tipping our hand here, uh, and we'll talk about it more at the at the number one spot, but you'll see a lot of Brody's matches end in a double disqualification or a yeah. count out quickly, and then just go to a brawl, and, yeah. you know, just stomp the shit out of each other, and, you know, you got like a two or three minute quote unquote match, but they're fighting from the moment they hit the ring to 10 or 12 minutes later. Yeah, and that that that's kind of what I was saying about the Harley Race match yeah. that I got to see up there. Brody come out first, boom, 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 and he's throwing tables. And snap. By the time Harley hits the ring, boom, because he's the champion, you know, uh, it's just one of those things where, like I said, they may have done a couple of things in a ring, a suplex here. That I don't know if they did or didn't, to be honest with you. But it was boom, once again, right out the window, double DQ. But everyone went home happy, you know. So uh, that's the way a lot of Brody's matches, you know, they only get to the ring. They may do a couple of things, roll in, roll out, DQ, and then still brawl for y'all, you know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, stay strong. Stay strong. That's the main thing. 
uh, and people come back to see you again next week. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and that's, you know, and that's, we've talked about this a couple of times, like protecting a wrestler's reputation is a lost art these days. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whether it's Arnold Scullin throwing in the towel. Uh, so, um, Bob Backlund doesn't have to tap out. Right. Or, yeah. Or cry uncle as they used to do back then. <laughs> um, you know, whatever, whatever it is, this is stuff that kept it in place. So yeah, Brody's matches always go to a fucking schmaltz, but, Brody always looked like a badass because of it, and so did the guy he was fighting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Staying strong, man. Staying strong. I'll let you do number three here, Professor. Yeah, so number three, we'll have to put a little context on it because yes. uh, even even guys our age may not know who we're referencing here, but when Bruiser Brody wrestled in the Midwest, so for Vern in the AWA, he actually wrestled under the name King Kong Brody so as not to disrespect Dick the Bruiser. Uh, Dick the Bruiser, God, he'd been, what, a main name and a promoter since the f- late 40s, early 50s? Yeah, definitely late fi- uh, early 50s, rather. Yeah. Um, you know, he was huge in the Midwest. Him and Crusher, they, whether they were doing singles matches or tag team matches, they were all throughout the place, running shows, kicking people's asses. Uh, they were a bunch of angry old men, and uh, I believe Dick the Bruiser used to run around with a gun in his pocket all the time, too. Yeah, yeah. I think he fired the locker room a few times. I think he rode through a few lawns firing it while riding a motorcycle. I've heard all kinds of different yeah. tales about him. But I guess he's a beer-drinking, gun-toting, and just uh, raised some hell. That's just what he, that was his character, you know. Yeah, that was but, his uh, character, Brody, and that's how Brody he lived, was not too. Dick the Bruiser, or he wasn't Brody the Bruiser or Bruiser Brody there. Yeah. So, so just out he of respect for, well, he he wrestled as King Kong Brody. There you go, King Kong Brody. Yeah, which hey, that's a fitting name too. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it fit him just fine because he'd come in Absolutely. and wreck shop and swat airplanes out of the air. But, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so I would say honestly, you know, me and you will reference this, and I think it's kind of a big deal. But most of our listeners, you might need to go read up or watch some videos about uh, the cr- about the Crusher and Dick the Bruiser and kind of get a sense of who they were and why somebody like yeah. Brody would give a fuck. But yeah. those guys were Midwest wrestling, you yeah. know, specifically Dick the Bruiser. But I remember I saw an interview with him and Crusher one time, and uh, Dick the Bruiser's wearing just like a wife beater, and Crusher's <laughs> wearing some like blue tank top with like a surfboard and shit on it. <laughs> and they're talking, they're talking, all of a sudden Dick the Bruiser looks at him and he goes, what are you doing wearing that sissy t-shirt? And he grabs a chair and fucking smacks the Crusher on the head with it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Rat-a-tat-tat. rat Had them rough voices, you know. Oh, yeah. So they just drank beer and beat ass, took names after the fact. <laughs> yep, that was that was pretty so, much it. All right, well, let's get down to number two. Yeah, number two, Brass Knuckles Champion. And we put a question mark by that because, yes, this was an actual NWA sanctioned title. They had Brass Knuckle Champions at one time. Yep. And um, when I looked at it, I read it two different ways. And I'll just let the professor fill you in. The way I read it was he had a title one time, but that was a world title. It was actually a sanctioned world title. But then go ahead, professor, and tell us. Because uh, I, then I said eight times, what's this? And I read a little bit more. And the professor, he was kind enough to put things in order for us. Well, so I'll let you, it, it, was, it was true, though. It's not fact or fiction. Brass Knuckles champ, yes. Yeah, NWA-sanctioned title. Now, so I ran into the same problem you did, because, yeah, there's a World Brass Knuckle Championship that he won. But So basically, this was the Dallas-Fort Worth area NWA 
Brass Knuckles Championship. So that means it went through Big Time Wrestling when that was the promotion there. And then it went through when Fritz got a hold of it as uh, World Class. Yeah. And then it, they folded that title when they formed WCWA, apparently. So the title okay. itself, as far as I could tell, it had three different names. Okay. One of them had the the word world in it. So I think that's where right. that distinction comes in. The other was just the NWA Texas or NWA Brass Knuckles champion. I don't think it said world. Right. Um, I think you're right. That's okay. So that's that's how I could kind of do it. So I just decided for our purposes we're just going to say if that was the Brass Knuckles Championship around the Dallas area, we're going to count it as one title just because it's so goddamn murky. And it looks to me like it should be one title. Right. Yeah, but it looks, but people appear to be counting it differently. But we're for this, we're going to treat it as one. So if you guys ever wanted to see a bloody fucking match before ECW was formed or before Frontier Martial Arts was a wet dream on some Japanese guy's pillow, <laughs> if you wanted to see some nasty, rough, bloody wrestling, the the place to do it back in the day would either be Puerto Rico or the American South, Texas hey. specifically, <laughs> man. These guys yeah. like their matches short, bloody, and brutal. Yep. Uh, the, the brass knuckles championship originally meant that the fighters had a pair of brass knuckles, quite literally. Right. Um, uh, I don't know how you pull a punch with a set of brass knuckles on. I don't know how you don't fucking maim a guy or break his job. Yeah, I know. Wow. <laughs> just tough it out. Yeah. Walk that off. I'm Walk sure it off. Just some hard ways. You know, good for business, kid. Good for business. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But it did eventually just turn into the, uh, the brass knuckles championship just meant, uh, no holds barred. Anything goes extreme matches basically. There you go. Yeah. Um, so as we were doing some, some figuring on this, there were some big names of guys that held this title. Right. Right. Well, he apparently him and him and Mark Lewin held it about the same amount of time as the way we broke that down, like you said. Yeah. But there's also Dusty Rose, Billy Graham, Fritz Bon Eric. They held it, but also uh, Wild Bill Curry held it. Yeah. Uh, for the NWA title out there, that was so he held it like 24 times. Again, we're just kind of counting it as one. If it was a title, these are some tough son of bitches, some top stars that knew how to draw money, and they came up with, "Hey, you beat me this way, you beat me that way, but by God, next Friday night in a sportatorium or wherever, you won't beat me in a brass knuckles match." And then, as we talked about, we we're sure they probably pulled a few punches, but there's probably a bunch of fucking potatoes delivered oh, and some God. hard ways given. I can guarantee it. And um, like I said, eventually it's turned that it probably got too too violent, too hard to do. Whether it be chain matches and brass knuckle matches and and all these different things that we're going to be we talk about in this this quote hardcore brutal type style matches, uh, basically just no rules, you know, just uh, no rules matches. That's all they could do with it because they probably couldn't take it any farther about someone getting killed, you know, in the ring or outside the ring for that matter, hitting each other with brass knuckles. Yeah. Um, anyway. So, hey, Bobby, before uh, before we move on, I've got a question yeah. for you. Manny, uh, a buddy of mine at work actually asked me about this a couple weeks ago, and I meant to talk to you about it. And I kind of meant to do it off air, but since we're we're here and I'm thinking about it, he mm-hmm. was asking me because he watches AEW and uh, WWE, and he asked me because when did when did they stop trying to make punches look real and go to this weird chicken flipper elbow raise elbow shot? <sighs> 
Man. And I'm trying to think, because when I watched it, at least the NWA, when I was really a fan back in my younger days, those punches, their working punches look fucking real. And I know yeah. they still they still um, opened each other up hard way sometimes and stuff. You know, they did at the Luger. Yeah. When do you I'll remember seeing this, that happen? I, you know, I don't know because I mentioned earlier Bob Cook. I, I put him over. I put him over my book. Penny pay me. He he's got the second greatest working punch in wrestling history, only behind beautiful Bobby Eaton. Bobby mm. Eaton's got one. Of, he's got the best working punch. And then, of course, I've seen guys you know that that can work that could punch. Um, and pull the punches. You know, you watch Flair, you watch Funk, you watch these guys we're talking about. Did it jump somewhere in the 90s? There was, you know, guys would, you know, give a kick and, and give an elbow or, or a European uppercut and those type things. But when it come to punching, sometimes it had to be, I don't know, I'm going to be wrong on this, but I'm going to have to say probably sometime after 2000, 2005, 2006, maybe when things started just... I want to say get pussyfied. I don't know, man. Uh, Cause I remember still watching in the late nineties and the early two thousands, people were still trying to throw punches and making them look good. Yeah. But somewhere in the last, uh, you know, I know I'm, I'm that's, I'm saying 15 years. I'm just putting that out there. It could be for sure the last 10 years, for sure the last 10 years, but I'm going to say probably if someone wants to correct me on that somewhere around 2005 to 2010, I, I was watching some wrestling, but, but, uh, I watch the WrestleManias each year, of course, and things like that. But somewhere in there, it just kind of the punches. I'm a, definitely in the last few years. I'll say in the last seven for sure. But I'll go as far as say it's probably 2005. I go 15 years. Um, probably wrong on that, but uh, correct me if I am. That's good. I'd rather see a guy instead of throwing a punch. If you can't throw a punch, and uh, you know, I work for Buddy Landell, Dirty White Boy, Jerry Lawler, some of these different guys that could throw fucking punches. And I eventually learned to throw a punch. When I first broke in, I could throw a punch. I threw a punch one time. I was over in Australia, and Dean Malenko pulled me to the side, not to embarrass me or anything. He said, "Bobby, how'd that how'd that punch feel?" I said, "It felt like shit." Because I had a guy, Australian guy, down in the corner, and he said, "It looked like it too." And he said. Uh, your forearms look so good. He said, what would dad tell you? He said, throw the forearm. Mm -hmm. So I, I started throwing, my kicks always looked real good, but I couldn't throw a punch real good. Uh, so I'd throw forearms and I'd lay them in and I'd tell guys, I'm like, when I throw a forearm, I'm going to fucking hit you in the side of the head. I'm going to ring your bell. Uh, not to be a prick, that's just the way I worked. You know, I liked it snug and stiff and I expected you to deliver it back to me as well. But uh, once I got working down at Smoky Mountain, you work around guys that do punch and brawl, I learned to punch really good. Not saying it was the greatest punch, but I had a pretty good working punch. Um, I always just was under this appear. Uh, this is why I felt about it, though. If you can't throw a punch, don't throw one. If you yeah. can't throw a kick, don't throw one because it looks like shit. If it felt like shit, it probably looked like shit, and the fans probably see shit. So, uh, Manny, you know, I'm glad you're still a wrestling fan and you and you watch AEW and WWE and stuff, and that's good. Uh, to answer your question, man, some you just gotta. Blur the line sometimes. I know Professor and I was talking off the air last week about something AEW. Yeah, sometimes you got to let your imagination, you got to realize, okay, they're not booking it for me. They're not booking it for a professor. Probably not booking it for a lot of our audience. And if you do those, if you enjoy those products, that's great. But um, you're going to see some shit that, you know, you're not going to see a, a Bruiser Brody punch or a Bruiser Brody chain or a Bruiser Brody uh, brass knuckles hitting someone if you're watching today's product, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, but uh, I'll go back 15 years. That's just uh, just just uh, you know a starting point. We'll say that. 
Uh, yeah. But if you can't punch, don't. Well, know? you know, and, and I'm, I'm right there with you because if you throw a good form like you're talking about or a good European uppercut, yes. you don't have to hit that hard to make it look good because you got you can spread it out over a lot of space. You know, you, you can yeah. use the whole length of your forearm. If you throw a weak punch, it's you might as well shine a light on it. It makes it look so much easier. If I go and throw a working punch, or even if I try to show up, throw a shoot punch and just barely clip you on the chin, okay, it may or may not come across good on TV. But when you take your full form and you smack someone um, in the side of the head, you know, in the ear, in the side of the head, and you give them a real form, you're actually making contact. Mm-hmm. The same thing with your European uppercut. When you come up with that uppercut underneath their chin, you're actually hitting that meaty part of their chest and up underneath their chin there. You're making contact, and, and you can make it look good either light or stiff. It's going to look good because you're laying meat on meat, you know? Yeah. Uh, and just that glancing punch sometimes just doesn't work but anyway enough about that jeremy yep. <laughs> we got some books to promote and that's uh, if you're interested we always like to say our audience that we have out here are wrestling smart and are also educated and they're readers like the professor and myself so uh there's two books one of them's called bruiser brody it's by emerson murray and uh scott till uh emerson murray is the author scott till is the editor if you want to get that book go to tinyurl.com slash bb brody book one again that's tinyurl.com slash bb brody book one there's another book i think that came out like 2015 mm-hmm. there's another book that come out i think in 2007 or 2008 it's called brody the triumph and tragedy of wrestling's rebel there's a kindle edition uh all right professor you got to help me out here it's larry matissic Matissic. Yeah. The author is Larry Matissic, along with Barbara Goodish, which is um, Brody's wife. There's a forward by Dave Meltzer. Okay, I knew that's coming. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So, and then the the introduction is done by Jim Ross. (laughs) We'll give him a thumbs up. How's that? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Anyway, there you go. Actually, Uh, you know what? I'm just fucking around. I don't even care that much about Dave Meltzer. I mean, I know a lot of people shit on him, so I thought it'd be funny. It's the first time we mentioned him on a damn podcast. It is, it is, yeah. I think I mentioned I had some letters from back in the day I wrote to him. Oh, yeah, you did, you did. Yeah, Yeah, I I was just goofing around. Yeah, we're uh, yeah, yeah. So, Brody, <laughs> Triumph and Tragedy of Wrestling's Rebel. Uh, you can go to tinyurl.com slash BB Brody Book 2. tinyurl.com slash BB Brody Book 2. Professor, put those links up there, and we appreciate it very much. Um, if you like, I know I've had another person uh, send me in a, a picture of a couple books that we mentioned on a podcast. They started uh, reading uh, per our suggestions and stuff. We're still thinking about working that in somewhere, but each week we do try to promote some books and, uh, we hope you, if you read one, uh, send us a picture of it or, or give us a, a review and let us know what you think, man. Um, I'll let you do this next plug, Professor, before we go into number one. What we oh. got? One more thing before number one. Okay, so yeah, I came across this. I don't know if it was originally through High Spots or not, but I came across commercials on it while I was doing some video watching, preparing for this episode. Uh, there is a DVD called Bruiser Brody, Wrestling's Last Rebel. It's a three-DVD set. Um, the, you can get it on Amazon. It looks like it might have been produced by High Spots or published by High Spots originally, but it is on Amazon. Uh, you can get this one by going to tinyurl.com slash bbbrodydvd. tinyurl.com slash bbbrodydvd. 
So there I, you go. yeah, it's just it's got matches and interviews and it's I've seen pieces of it. Um, I am going to buy a copy of it though because it looks like it's got some entertaining and interesting shit to dig into. There you go. All right, drum roll. <laughs> Number one reason that we loved Bruiser Brody, we alluded to this earlier though. Um, his feud with Abdullah the Butcher, man. They were called violent death matches all over the world, Puerto Rico, Japan, especially Japan, all across the U.S. And as we talked about earlier, when these two guys got together, man, um, it was just uh, crazy, crazy. They just went at it. Uh, Professor alluded to it earlier about they'd get to the ring. One or both may or may not get in the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abby get his rolled in the ring or rolled out of the ring or what have you. Uh Brody coming out the chain. Of course, you've seen that. We talked about it. And they're just going at it, man, from from what well, is in the ring, probably less than 10 minutes each match they had. And they probably got about, what, 15 or 20-minute matches out of every match at yeah. least. Um, but it's basically a brawl, just a bloody a bloodbath. Like I said earlier, it was just a, a fucking a, a violent death match. <laughs> so um, they, both, they both were heels. But the people, they love Brody, of course. Uh, yeah. Abby would just terrorize the company, uh, terrorize the territory, and there's only one man to come in and, and stop him. And as the professor said, he was on the, the butcher's path of destruction. Enter, and there's the music, <laughs> Bruiser Brody. And so uh, just come through there swinging that chain and kicking ass, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, go on, give us, some more, uh, give us some more Brody stuff here. Well, yeah, so basically they Brody were both... butcher stuff, rather. I'm yeah, sorry. no, no, so they were both heels, they were both doing their gig, but they were obviously headed towards each other, and Bruiser Brody was probably the first tweener, at least in the Texas territories, where you're supposed to boo him, but the fan, the crowd loves him. And yeah. so they're, they're going to cheer him, especially when he goes on a, a collision course with a duel of the butcher who had just been laying waste to the locker room, you know, week after week, show after show. Of course, it's a, it's a, it's Fritz. So there was only like 10 guys working there, but you put hoods on them and now you got 20. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But so this is where it was headed. And, you know, we're talking forks and chains and tables and chairs and blood and. Oh my. Yeah. Fucking ECW, uh, XPW. These guys would never quite get to the level of blood and disgusting. Cause you know, Abdullah the Butcher would fucking split you open, then he'd lick blood off your face and yeah. chew on your forehead. And um, I got some problems with the way Abby worked on some of this shit because, sure. it, you know, he did spread a couple diseases around by not being careful. But when you're younger, you don't know about that shit, and all you're seeing is two guys fucking beat ass and bleed all over the place on the screen. It was something to see back in the day. Um, so the final clash would happen July 13th, 1988. It was a buildup after Abby was uh, beating an enhancement talent. Uh, he was beating him senseless, I guess, and Brody would uh, storm the ring and make the save. The two men had spent the next two weeks, uh, next few weeks, beating up uh, random enhancement talents until final clash. As usual, as usual, this match was short, but you were there to see the brawl after DQ, as a professor put it. So I'm just going to ask you, professor. Uh, so you're going to say right now the number one reason that we all love Bruiser Brody was because of his feud with Abdullah the Butcher. Is that correct? Um, I I feel pretty safe going on the record with that, yes. I'm going to go one more. I'm going to drop out the Freebird rule Uh-oh. on you. It has been dropped before. It's been a while, but not the last two seasons. I'm dropping a Freebird rule. You know what that is? You know why we love the Bruiser Brody? Why is that? Even over his feud with Abdullah the Butcher as a number one, 
You Why? used this on me before. I'm using it on you, Professor. Okay. Because he was fucking bruiser fucking there Brody. You, go. <laughs> you knew it was coming. Yep. You dropped it on me one time with someone else, Roddy Piper or someone. You said, because here's above all reasons, fans. He was Bruiser Brody. That's why we loved him. That's why we done this podcast in honor of the late, great Bruiser Brody. Yep. Here, here's the thing. Like with Bruiser Brody, I know guys that are younger that only know WWE. Yeah. They didn't grow up watching WCCW on uh, ESPN or in syndication. They didn't grow up watching the AWA. Matter of fact, they don't even know what the fuck the AWA was. You know, <laughs> but they know the name Bruiser Brody. Yeah. And they have found matches and they've gone back and seen things and they're always upset. They're like, I can find matches, but they don't have any color or play by play. <laughs> and I'm like, well, then do your own, dude. Fucking you're watching a Bruiser Brody match. Punch, punch, fucking big boot, <laughs> uh, knee drop, punch. There you go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. You're not going to be seeing a lot of step over toe holds and stuff here, guys. This, no. you're, not, you're not going into a Kimura lock or a perfectly executed Northern Light suplex. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but goddamn, for a guy who punched and kicked, he punched and kicked perfectly. Yes. And you got to remember, man, he's like 6'8", 300 mm -hmm. plus pounds, a pure athlete, pure badass. And, um, man, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I know we enjoyed, you know, doing some research. But it wasn't that hard once you get past, you know, Talking about what we talked about earlier, his death, once you get past that, you know, it's like, okay, here's some really good shit, as we found about Bruiser Brody. Yeah. And like you said, like Jeremy said, the, the, the matches, they're out there. You just got to find them. You don't have to have any fucking commentary. You can see it with your own eyes. That's the whole thing. And uh, I know I enjoyed it. I hope I know the professor did. I appreciate his input because he does so much research on these. We shoot these notes back and forth, and he puts it in such a way that it's just, it just we, we do it. We hope you enjoy it. That's what I'd like to say. I hope the hell y'all enjoyed it. I know I did. Yeah. Um, you know, there were things that I would have liked to have dug into a little bit further. There were claims that during X number this year or that year, Bruiser Brody was the highest paid pro wrestler. I, I could see where people said it anecdotally, but I couldn't see anything to back it up because I could yeah. come across, you know, like you said there, there's this week he made 20 grand, but that same week, so did Stan Hansen. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, you know, so there's stuff like that all over the place. There, I mean, there's a lot more here, but unfortunately, because of when, when Brody died, wrestling was still very much in the dark. Um, there's a lot of stuff that can be said, but we can't really prove. I would have liked to have gotten further into some of it, but there's yeah. just no way to really do it and then talk about it here, you know. But right. I had a hell of a time doing this. This, um, Bobby, I think we probably did a longer period of research on this than anything except maybe the pre-NWA pre world titles. Yeah, I, I think so. I yeah. think so. And so with that, Jeremy, I'm going to get ready to sign off, man. I'm just going to tell you people out there, remember, please be safe. Stay strong. Uh, wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. And look, I say it every week, man. Just take care of each other out there. If you got someone you love, tell them you love them, you know, got someone to care about, tell them you care about them. And uh, it doesn't take anything to be nice to someone. So instead of being an asshole or as a professor say, just don't be a dick, mm -hmm. you know, take the time to be nice to just one person this week. And I especially, and we talked about this last week, especially just be nice to yourself, man. Give yourself a break sometimes and realize it's a cold, cold fucking world out there. 
and take the time to be kind to yourself sometimes and take the kind, take the time to be kind to someone else. Okay. Absolutely. Anyway. Absolutely. All right. Well, Bobby, uh, this has been a fun show. We will be back next week. I believe next week we're do- are we doing enhancement talents next week? Yes, next week is enhancement talent. Uh, that we're should do top ten enhancement talents of all time. Does the Brooklyn Brawler make the list? How about the Mulkies or Randy Hogan? This could be a Man. fun, fun list. We start advertising. Would love to hear some feedback on who we're going to get on our talent enhancement list. In the meantime, we hope you enjoyed this one here. For Jeremy, the professor of Elmer, this is Blazing Bobby Blaze. See ya! You know, I'm really pulling for Jake the Milkman Milkman. <laughs>